0: Podcast. This is Warren again, and Jason, Rachel, and I are going to jump right back in today to our conversation our con- on confession, and, and we're just going to pick up really right where we left off last week. And so in our last episode, we, we sort of left off with this idea of, of what confession looks like within our community and our faith community currently, and, and how we incorporate that into our, our weekly worship gatherings with a prayer of confession and, and that, as, as we kind of mentioned in that episode, I think we all find power and significance and, and conviction in that prayer. It's, it's certainly a, a unifying uh, aspect of our service, I think. And it serves us well as, as this sort of ritualistic or, or liturgical form of confession. And so we want to start from there and kind of go to the next level of, of still thinking about confession within community and thinking about that from the perspective of, okay, so beyond that, where, where does that happen relationally? How does specific confession happen best within a faith community? And, and what do we do to go about kind of opening ourselves up for that in, within community and, and providing space for that? Uh, and, and so I guess to begin that conversation and, and to start thinking about it that way, where do we, where do we think con- confession happens best within Christian community and, and what, what does that look like?
1: I think it happens best in close relationships, um, which ideally should be, you know, our church community, but for a lot of people, it may not be. Um, but I think in order for confession to really, well, I should maybe I shouldn't put it this way, but the, the first thing that came to mind was in order for confession to have kind of the full effect, the full power, I think there needs to be some intimacy um, between the person confessing and who they're confessing to. Um, and maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm, I'm open to being wrong about that, but I, I just think about how um, that confession require it feels hollow. It would feel shallow if I was confessing to a stranger. Um, and so I think there needs to be some intimacy there. And so I think a church community can have that. Unfortunately, a lot of church communities may not um, have that. But I think, you know, the Vine is a very small uh, congregation and, you know, pretty much everybody knows everybody else uh, and has, you know, to some degree a personal relationship with everybody else at the Vine. Um, But even in larger churches, you know, you may have small groups, you may have, um, you know, more intimate uh, gatherings. And those in my mind are the groups of people to, for which confession can be the most important and the most useful. Um, and so I think in, in the last, uh, in the last episode, we talked about, uh, confessing within the context of personal relationships and kind of one-on-one relationships. And I think this is a little bit different, but it holds some of the same qualities because we, when we confess to our church community, whether that's, you know, a, a whole congregation or whether it's just a small group, um, what we're essentially saying is, you know, in my mind, it's kind of like bringing my sins to the priests, you know, be that the the Jewish priests of the Old Testament or... You know bringing it to the catholic priests uh in in the form of catholic confession well in in our faith tradition in our protestant tradition you know we are um you know we are a holy priesthood as it as it says and um and so confessing that and saying here is where i have Done wrong, or here's where I have strayed, or here's how I uh, need to reconcile myself either to you or to God. Um, I think that the reason that that becomes so powerful is because we're doing it with people that know us, that have a sense of our heart, um, that have a sense of you know the the life that we live and um and because of that that confession then does help the the process of um maybe exoneration is the wrong word but helps us move through that helps us to um be able to overcome um you know the issue that we're struggling with in the moment not not because someone is saying okay you're you're fine, but because no, we know this person, they are deeply loved and they are they are deeply uh, respected and and appreciated and and they're part of our community and so we welcome them and and we forgive them their sins and we um, you know embrace them and lift them up to god and that's that's where the power of of communal confession I think comes from. The problem though is that all too often I I don't know that we always feel that degree of intimacy or we may not always feel that level of safety within our church communities to do that. And that that I think is a failing of of the church at times.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that that sort of leads to, to what I've been thinking about with this idea because I think, you know, if if we're to ask the question, well how do we how do we structure, how do we provide space for confession you know, blah, 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 within kind of the context of our Christian community, within the context of our church, I think, especially traditionally in our past, that would have been, so where do we, where do we provide an outlet for people to confess? And, and that traditionally looked like, uh, as, as Jason and I had said, kind of within our backgrounds in Churches of Christ with, you know, you know with the invitation at the end of the sermon, and, and, and that was kind of the place where, where confession was invited, but but to me it it almost feels like a better way to go about doing that would be to to focus on on building intimacy and, and building community so that like cultivating an environment where confession can more readily happen seems like a better practice than providing a specific place for confession. If that makes sense and and I think that would that that helps to do sort of what we're talking about within the the benefits of, of relationship and so that's kind of been my thought of and it's something we've talked about across a number of different topics and categories but but that seems to be the essence of it to me is is how do we go about um, cultivating an environment where intimacy is encouraged where uh, where we're building strong relationships. And we've talked about that over the course of this pandemic as well. Like that's gonna be a, a big part, you know, of, of what we hope to be able to do whenever we are able to, to all come back together and actually do things together again. And, and so I see this conversation of, of confession within community fitting, fitting right, a, right alongside all of those other conversations that have to do with, with becoming more intimate and, and, and developing relational depth within who we are as as a church family.
2: I think it definitely is wise to focus on the relationship end of that because when you do have those relationships and trust and intimacy in place you're much more likely to confess your sins and receive the healing you need than if there is some structure set up where you're told okay this is the person you're confessing your sins to. Um, it might feel a little more artificial and be more difficult Um, to find a safe place uh, with which to confess your sins to someone. So I think of in high school, we had what we call D group, discipleship group. And it was a group of us girls, about five of us. And we met together um, every week in someone's home. And just the five of us, we went up to our friend's room and we had like kind of a Bible study and prayer time. And we all became really close with each other. And we saw each other at school almost every day. And one of my friends and I had an issue in our relationship. So one of the girls in that group, um, I had a sin in my own life that I thought was very personal to me. And I didn't realize that it was affecting more than just (laughs) like me or maybe one other person. But when that sin became apparent to other girls in the group, some of them were deeply hurt by it because I had not let them in On what was going on and so it fractured that relationship. We went off to college and I didn't talk to um, one of those girls for months which was really weird because we had been so close seeing each other like every day and um, been close to Christian fellowship. We came back for Easter weekend back from college and we had a Good Friday service at our church And I remember looking over and seeing her on the opposite side of this huge worship center. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) there she is. And my heart starts pounding and I'm getting sweaty. And I'm like, this relationship is in turmoil because she felt deceived and hurt by me. And so we're in a Good Friday worship service and people are like raising their hands and singing to Jesus. And I'm like, I can't. Like, I gotta gotta deal with this relationship. I can't worship right now. Um, And so I walked, I left, I was like right at the front and there's probably like 50 rows of chairs. And I walked toward the back and went out um, to the atrium area. And guess what? So did my friend. So she saw me too. And she also left her worshiping and went to the back. And we're like college freshmen college students Um, and so we see each other in the back and we haven't talked for months after being super close with each other and we are both just in tears and we find each other and we hug and I say I'm sorry for deceiving you and I'm sorry that I hurt you and that you didn't know what was going on with me and she said I'm sorry for shutting you out for not answering your phone calls and for holding a grudge and not listening we both just confess to each other and were able to to heal that relationship um, and be reconciled because we followed what Jesus said of, if you're making a sacrifice, leave it at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother first and then come and offer your sacrifice. And after we, we forgave each other and prayed with each other, then we both went back in and um, continued worshiping um, and that relationship was healed. So because we had had that intimacy and that fellowship with each other, of of praying together every week and studying the Bible together and also seeing each other every day, pretty much. We were able so easily, as soon as we saw each other, we both like immediately responded, left what we were doing, left the worship, went back um, to confess to one another. So I think the intimacy and the relationship part um, will definitely lay the groundwork for people having the time to confess, especially when it's a wrong between each other within that relationship.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like in that particular instance, um, because you had that level of intimacy, because you had been that close, that you, I, I think that part of what that intimacy created was an openness to the Holy Spirit convicting you that this is something I need to make right. And and for her as well, um, that it wasn't just the sense of, well, she needs to approach me because she wronged me. No, there was a sense of we we both contributed to the divide that uh, that or we both co- contributed to the division that occurred between us. And so I but I'm not going to focus on her contribution. I'm going to focus on my contribution because that's what I'm responsible for. That's what God is convicting me of, and that's where the Holy Spirit is moving me towards. And that kind of, I don't, for the most part, I don't know that that necessarily would happen, at least not to the degree that it did, where you just felt compelled to do that, if it weren't because of the intimacy that that the two of you shared. It seems to me like that's really the crucible, that's the, that's the, the vehicle through the intimacy is the, is the vehicle through which the, uh, the Holy Spirit brings about this need for confession.
2: Hmm. But I think you pointed out something we haven't talked about yet, which is the role of the Holy Spirit in convicting us to confess, because (laughs) maybe we can, um, just be going about our daily life. And if we're not tuned into the Holy spirit or allowing him time to speak to us, we might not even realize that we need to, to take that time to confess. Um, So I think those times of, of silence too, personally or in worship are important to, to give the Holy spirit time to speak to you. And I think it also maybe shows that the more that you walk with God, the more closely you're walking with the holy spirit probably the more frequently you will be confessing your sin
0: <laughs> that's good and i think you i think you sort of began heading us in that direction rachel with some of your comments at at the end of our last episode about james 5 and how how confession and prayer and praise seem to be flowing kind of together in the same um in the same river, that's not the words that you used, but that's that's my kind of thought that I had on it was that they're they're all kind of part of the same stream uh that that's flowing together and and so yeah, I think the spirit is is definitely involved in that, and I think it it just reinforces for me all of this conversation reinforces for me that um these things that we're talking about, the, the intimacy that's necessary there for that to happen within relationship, for confession to happen within relationship, is just, it's not something that can be built by participating in a worship service together once a week. And so whether that's connecting on your own outside of worship, or whether that's investing in a small group, uh, or, or whatever that looks like, it, it, it has to require more than that. And I I think some of those those things that we feel kind of when it comes to confession, like whether it's the awkwardness of a public confession or the the fear of judgment that we might have for confessing to other people, um, the the lack of of kind of feeling like we have a safe place or are able to be vulnerable, all of that does seem to be ge- kind of connected to this idea of of maybe we we don't have that that sense of intimacy that that we really need and desire and, and long for. And and I'm you know, I'm continually curious of, of how we're gonna come out of this pandemic and once we are able to meet, you know, for more intimate gatherings, what are those gonna look like? Um, I'm hopeful that it, it leads to sort of more more appreciation for those things and and buy-in for them. And not this idea of well I've gone this long without them I I think I'm okay now, (laughs) but I also hope that it helps us to clarify the purpose of those things and the benefit of those things and and this is why this is important Um, and that I hope it kind of takes I don't I don't know it just kind of gives purpose to to some of those things that that maybe we didn't fully fully realize before because I think our small group ministry you know kind of thinking about our our church life at the vine. Uh, some of our small groups have functioned really well. Some of them have not. Some of them have functioned very sporadically. Um, but I think, you know, as I think about the constructs of our church, at least as far as the, the the official structure of what we do goes, that's the place where we hope to kind of build that intimacy. And and I think what we find is, you know, busy schedules get in the way that, that kind of you know comes up there and. Um, I think sometimes people feel like well I'm I don't really feel connected to those people so I'm not going to go and participate in that which you know that's how you get connected and so there's kind of this tension that exists there um but what happens then is is that then when something comes up if I don't have that foundation already built like it's too late to build to build it which goes back to the story that you were sharing Rachel that like the, the intimacy, the relationship had to be there in order for that reconciliation to happen. Um, and so we have to go about cultivating those things beforehand so that we're ready to to kind of invest in those deeper aspects of the relationship. And we, but but all those things take work. Um, and the same thing with like the, the aspects of our worship, like a liturgical prayer of confession. Uh, the benefit of it is is when it happens over time and it happens continually and, and it just speaks to the the work that I think we have to be willing to do within ourselves uh, relationally with God and relationally with community community, all of which is going to take time to build and cultivate before we begin seeing, seeing the fruits of it necessarily.
1: Well, and what you just talked about though, yeah, the value of those small groups, Uh, and, you know, participating in small groups. And like you said, you can't just expect this to happen by, you know, spending an hour in worship. I mean, the hour in worship can certainly help. Um, Not to diminish that, but that alone isn't going to create that intimacy with each other. Um, And I think it's important, though, to recognize that this is really where um, our... We can't assume that my spiritual life, my relationship with God can exist in a vacuum. You know, I encounter a lot of people periodically who will say, well, I have a good relationship with God or, or you know, I have a personal relationship with God and I don't really feel that that church, uh, church life or church membership or church participation is necessarily a part of that. And okay uh you know good for them I have a hard time wrapping my head around that um, because it is so it is so closely tied to um I, I don't know there's something about the intimacy with the people at church that helps me feel more intimately connected to God maybe that's just me maybe that's maybe I'm confusing one intimacy for another I don't know but uh, but but there is something powerful about that. And so when we talk about you know bringing this back around to confession, um, if I'm going to kind of confess to God and or even to myself, if I'm just going to admit to myself my sins and my wrongs and and kind of recognize that within myself, um, I don't know that I can do that as effectively or as honestly Um without having a connection to a, a larger church body. And I know that because there have been times in my life where I really haven't been very con- closely connected to a church body and I didn't really feel the the need for that kind of confession and I think that was problematic for me in various ways. And so um you know I th- I, th- I feel like there is there is a mentality among you know, certain, some Christians that says, well, churches are problematic in various ways, and they may not be wrong about that, but they, you know, some people see that as a reason to not be involved in, in a church. Um, And I kind of, I have a different take, and that take is that being involved in a, in a church body, uh, not just attending for an hour on Sunday morning, but, but really being, you know, a party, a part of the life of the church and uh, really developing intimate relationships with the other people at the church, that that is, in my opinion, a critical piece of my own spiritual development and a, and a critically important piece of uh, my relationship with God. It's not, I'm not just developing relationships with with you, Warren, or you, Rachel, or with uh, the other people at church. I'm developing relationships of, with, I'm developing a more intimate relationship with God through you and through the people that I encounter at church. Um, and again, that's not something that's going to develop uh, in worship alone.
0: Right. And I kind of see, in, at least in the context of this conversation, not to turn this just into a church involvement podcast, but... Um, but I <laughs> Yeah, almost, I, I knew that
1: that had the potential of becoming a bit of a tangent, but I'm okay with well, that. Well, but, you know,
0: I almost see... <laughs> this is going to, I don't know, maybe sound almost... Um, not offensive, but, but I think it may sound like I'm watering down worship too much or something by this comparison, but I almost see, as far as it relates to community, like the worship experience almost be like going, being like going to a movie on a date where like, if you go to a movie on a date, like it can be a unifying experience. It could be a shared experience that the two of you have. It can bond you together. Uh, It could be something you return to in conversation, all of those things but like, if that's all you ever did, you wouldn't be building anything relationally. There's no chance to you know talk within that construct, and you know all of those things. So it can be part of the relationship. But it can be, but but it has to be part of a greater whole that's built on something else. And I think the worship experience, as I think about it, at least as far as it relates to community, is kind of like that. That yeah, it can be part of this bigger experience and can be in a, a very obviously important part of that. But that's, if that's the extent of it then then it's never going to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish and it's always going to feel like something is missing and it's going to become very performative which i think is what has happened in a lot of american church culture right it's this kind of It has a very performative aspect, almost, you know, in some cases, maybe we would say entertainment type aspect, and and becomes where where that's the driving force of it, Um, instead of it being part of this kind of larger connection to a group of people that you're living life with. Um, And so I think that's very important, just in terms of how we think about church, and how we think about this conversation of, how, how do I go about connecting myself with a group of people that I'm able to build trust with to be vulnerable with to see if it's safe, to see as a safe place to where I can do things like confess my sins and and things like that
2: so far we've talked about sort of two aspects of confession so there's having a safe place for you to confess a sin of which you yourself are aware And then we've talked about giving space for the Holy Spirit to speak and to convict you so that you might become aware and able to confess your sin. But Jason made me think of another aspect that comes through true, genuine Christian community And that is other believers convicting you of your sin and calling things out in you. And I think that that is the hardest level. Um, So I feel like we can kind of build up. You start with giving space for yourself to confess and then learning how to let the Holy Spirit convict you. But I think the third and the most difficult level is being in such intimate, genuine community that another believer can tell you, Rachel, I understand what you've been going through this week has been really hard. But when you talk about it, it sounds like you have been quite selfish and that you haven't considered the perspective of your husband um, or that you haven't considered what your kids are going through. To have a a friend or someone in your Christian community who can sting you to the point that it's refining and be able to specifically call out what you what you don't see, um, but what, what others probably do see. Not in a judgmental way, but because I have your best interest at heart, and I so strongly desire you to be more like Christ. And I see that if you could confess this and ask for the Spirit's help in being transformed out of that way or that sin pattern, you would be moving more toward the image of Christ. And for me personally, I long to have that type of community. I want friends who can sting me, you know, so that I can be refined and be more like Jesus. And I want to be able to do that for other people too. And I think a lot of times when we meet people, we can see their weaknesses. Um... And like we could know something that I would maybe should mention to that person. Like, it seems like you're you are really struggling with pride in this situation. <laughs> but like for me, I am always scared to say those things because I'm like, well. What if they don't respond well? Or what if that burns them too much? Or what if they can't recover from it? Or what if that completely harms our relationship? So I'm striving for a community where people can sting me and I can sting them back, not to hurt them, but for refining and for all of us to become more like Christ. That is what I desperately want. um, And I'm not sure how we'll get there.
1: Well, that I mean, I love that idea. Uh, in theory, <laughs> um, as an as an enneagram eight, uh, it is difficult for me to hear that kind of stinging. Um, I I I think I've gotten to the point in my life where I can hear it if it's you know gently given, and if I do indeed have an intimate and close and uh, loving relationship with the person who's giving it. Um, but I gotta say if if I felt the need to, or if I felt the conviction to kind of call someone else to that kind of confession, perhaps with the exception of my, you know, my household, the, the people in my family that I live with, I don't know that I would have the bravery to be able to do it. And that's not to say that that I don't have the that kind of relationship with other people, but I, I think I am just so not practiced at it. And so fearful of potential results or fearful of, well, I think I have this level of intimacy with this person, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they don't see it that way. Maybe this will damage our relationship. And is that really my place to say anyway? Is this, you know, am I being judgmental? Am I butting my nose into into business that doesn't belong to me? Um, you know, maybe that's the American individuality and autonomy, you know, coming out in me. Uh, but I, I think I love that idea in theory, but how do we get there? How do we, you know, how do, how do we grow that boldness? And how do we grow that, um, that love of Christ that allows us to share truth, not only the easy truth and not only the, the joyful truth, but also the difficult truth and the truth that, that might sting someone um, and do so in such a way that despite the sting, they know that we love them. And despite the sting that uh, that, that kind of confession or that kind of calling to confession is, is necessary. That's difficult. I, I love the idea, and I think that you're spot on in saying that that's what we need to be doing. But getting from where we are now to that point, um ooh that's scary
0: (laughs) yeah i had very much the same reaction that jason did which is interesting that he brought up being an enneagram eight because i'm an enneagram nine and i think in a lot of ways our our personality types probably come out or probably expressed very differently and probably look very different but i think within this conversation it's probably very similar and because we're right next to each other on the Enneagram, whatever. Well, honestly,
1: whatever. Uh, my guess is that I might have an easier time doing that than you do, Warren. <laughs> just oh, I, knowing I myself so. as an 8 and you as a 9.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of the, the, the feelings and emotions you just that you described are, are the same that, that I thought and experienced. Because I thought, yeah, I can recognize the need for that. But I mean, just in all honesty, I would not say what you said, Rachel, that I want that i may I may recognize the need for it, but I do not want it. <laughs> and And so
2: Yeah. And I'm a two. A helper so I want to help people be more like Christ and if this is a way in which I can help you <laughs> then I see that as a good thing and vice versa to me if someone were to to give me that feedback of I see your sin right here and you need to address this to me that would light me up like I'd be like in a good way like wow you helped me like you're refining me you're making me more like Jesus and so I guess I see I see it that way. And I do have some friends that um, I can do that with. But those are relationships with people that I've known for probably 15 years, so.
0: Right. And I think another thing for me, because well, cause even like, so so Rachel has asked me just to kind of um, sh- share some about kind of how we have interacted. Like Rachel has, has asked me kind of for critiques or criticisms on like, like when she preached and stuff. So I don't know if you want this out in the open, Rachel, but here we go. But, um, but I think part of, what, part of what makes me hesitant to offer critiques and things in situations like that, and I think, I think is the same thing that would drive some of our hesitation to call out things in others, is that we, we don't want to appear hypocritical or like, I'm willing to, to call out something in our life when I'm not willing to address stuff in my own life. And I mean, which is basically what Jesus talks about, right? With the 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 plank and the the speck, right? And and we don't want to appear like that. We don't want to appear as someone who's got a plank in our own eye, calling out specks in other people's eyes. And so I think intimacy—it goes back to intimacy for one thing. That that for me, part of it is, yeah, I I I need in order for someone to do that, you know, kind of in my life, it's important for me to know that they care about me, that they love me, no matter what this is, that this isn't going to affect kind of how they feel about me as a person or, or whatever. Um, but I think the other part of it is that we have to, that, that that has to be willing to go both ways and we have to be willing to be introspective about ourselves and be open to that for ourselves um, because that to me is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, I don't think is talking about the size of sin. I don't think he's saying you can't call out other people's little sins while you have this big sin. I think he's saying that if you go around criticizing everybody else without being willing to be introspective, you look ridiculous to other people and, and they're just going to laugh at you um, and you're not going to be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Jesus in that scripture, in my opinion, is not saying, you know, don't... He, he's not saying to uh, to not call out other people or to call them to confession. He's saying, don't do that when you're not willing to do that to yourself like don't be so hyper focused on other people that you neglect your own sin that you neglect the ways in which you yourself need you know require confession and and i and so i don't i think it is a a uh kind of incorrect conclusion to say well then that means that i can never you know uh you know come to someone and call someone else to to confession what it means is i need to at the same time or even before address my own and and in, and i would even go as far as to say sometimes simultaneously i need to address my own because there's a good chance that the speck in the other person's eye um i may need to to identify that but that speck may be closely related to my plank and so I probably, I may I may be able to do both at the same time and say, yes, I have this sin and you are part of that as well. And, you know, we we need to lean on each other.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, that's how he closes that story, right? He says, first, take out the, the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the plank out of, just take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, yeah, because otherwise you're just going to end up hurting someone if you're, Trying to take a speck out of their eye with a plank hanging out of your eye. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And and so yeah, it's it's about seeing clearly. It's about valuing the relationship. It's about all those things that we've been talking about. And and I think part of the part of the I think benefit that I've sort of experienced, even as we've spent this much time on kind of one topic, is that it has brought up things in in my mind that that I hadn't necessarily thought of going into it and. And one of those is connected to to something that we've kind of, I think, been talking around here, and that is that I think confession helps us to take sin seriously within community, which is something—it it may be another struggle that we have as churches, and I think, again, is, is probably kind of a reaction to some of our history that— that I think some of us feel like, you know, there was kind of this fire and brimstone right kind of past that we're kind of coming out of and and we want to be more grace filled and we want to be accepting and we want to be all of those things all of which I think are important and good. Uh but there's there's space to do that and still take sin seriously. And and what I think we've we've kind of defaulted into in a lot of cases within churches is that the sins that we take seriously are the sins that are either public, like we, we talked about kind of in one of our previous conversations, or the ones that are kind of hot button social issues, right? So if, if it's a big topic socially, then we'll take that topic or that, that sin um, seriously. Um, whereas, as Jason said in one of our conversations, you know, I think you said, Jason, I've never heard anyone confess to the sin of gossip. Right, and so there are other sins that are just kind of socially acceptable, or the sin of envy, <laughs> right, or greed. Like we see
1: greed yeah. socially oh as my a good gosh. thing, greed.
0: yeah, as a good thing. And so, I mean, it's greed just something is that good. we don't, yeah, we 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 don't we don't deal with it much. And I and I think confession helps us to deal with all of sin on a more fully encompassing basis from a serious standpoint of of recognizing the the need to try to deal with that in our own life.
2: Mm, yeah. When I think of the Old Testament prophets, one of their main functions was to awaken in the people a sense of their own sinfulness and to uh, kind of alert them to the fact that they were in disobedience to God. And I think that that function still needs to be there uh, post-Christ because yeah we can lean so much on the grace of Jesus that we forget to acknowledge our guilt and our sin and so I'm wondering if there could be even like a spiritual gift <laughs> of of somebody to have a prophetic role of speaking into the church and saying this is the sin like maybe this is you personally, individually, or us collectively, this is where we have sinned, this is where we have gone wrong, and like, wake up and see it, people, um, because I feel like, yeah, we have to take sin seriously, the price for it has been paid for, but I think that uh, we need to to recognize how much we needed that price to be paid on our behalf, and um, and that it was a serious issue. Um, So I wonder if there could be like a prophetic role today in the church of being somebody to call out sin um, individually or communally.
1: I think there definitely is. The problem though is um, at least my natural inclination is to Get defensive, or to say, "Oh well, that person doesn't understand the context." I <laughs> or, "Oh sure, I, 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 I'm not disagreeing with this," um, but I think the the tendency is to find a way to discount that, and find a way to say, "Oh well their their opinion is invalid for one reason or another." And I think the better way, because, I mean, let's be honest, that even if somebody were to come out and say, hey, here's how the Vine Church is not doing their duty or is not, you know, um, you know following God's will, uh, I, I might initially get defensive. But I think that in every case, that should at the very least be a call to stop and be introspective. Um, and so it's not to say that just because someone calls us out that and calls us to confession, do we necessarily need to take what they're saying you know as as God's truth, but we do need to search it out. I think that that we need to um, look at okay, what kind of legitimacy might they have? Maybe maybe I, Uh, At the end of the day, I don't get on board with everything they're saying, but maybe I need to at least uh, prayerfully and thoughtfully and deliberately evaluate what they're saying instead of just dismissing it offhand or instead of just saying, well, they don't understand the context or they're angry or upset about this or that. And that's on them. Um, I think that's our tendency, um, both individually as well as collectively Um, And and I think that that whenever we kind of hear that call to confession, uh, I think it is important to, in every case, evaluate, Okay, what can I learn from this? Where can I grow from this? And maybe there maybe they are right. Uh, Maybe I don't see it. But if I stop and think and pray and meditate on that, maybe I'll find some truth in it. Um, regardless of who it is. I mean, the prophets of the Old Testament were, you know, <laughs> to put it in kind of modern terms, they were just, uh, you know, crazy people <laughs> for the most part. They A lot of them weren't regarded in very high esteem by the people they were professing to. Uh, and, and so it's not like we need to wait for some, you know, wise sage with, you know, uh, with a huge following or with any kind of, with a long resume to necessarily call us to confession, a a call to confession can come from literally anyone. And so I think we need to be deliberate and thoughtful and intentional about evaluating those.
0: Yeah. And I think a, a couple of other things that I think do kind of make that, not that these would be excuses, but I think that makes it difficult kind of to do that communally is that for one thing, um, there are some issues where I think you would have differences of opinion on kind of, okay, is, is this sinful, right? And so that would be one kind of difficulty of calling out specific sin is that you, you would have differences of opinion within the church of of what, what actually constitutes a, a specific sin. And I think the other thing that makes some of it difficult is, especially thinking communally or broadly, um, so much stuff because because so much stuff of this now has kind of a social connotation, um, so many of those conversations end up becoming politicized so quickly that it's, it's easier to either not mention them or mention them kind of tangentially or, or whatever. And so I think like I think racism is one that we've we've done I think a decent job at least of trying to think about, at least in this space, in, in this podcast space, of trying to, to think about and, and want to call out and, and think about what that looks like for the life of our church. Um, and, and you know, I, I think that's one that we can we can certainly have a conversation about the sin of racism collectively as as a church, but as you go down that path, sometimes even a conversation about that gets pulled into kind of political you know mud and and mess and and so and i i think we're we're still very averse to that because of then other conversations and and issues that 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 might bring up um
1: well but that's i mean that's that's the that's the defensiveness right that's the resistance to that call is and we can call it political but uh, I think any any time we're being called to confession, any time that we're called being called to uh, to redemption, um, we either are not going to kind of recognize it at first. I think many times we're not going to recognize it at first. I think we as a country certainly have taken a long time, you know, over a century or centuries, literally centuries. To 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 even in some kind of meaningful way recognize the sin of racism, um, and so we're very slow to that anyway. And I think that if someone were to come to me and personally and say, "Well, the the Vine Church needs to confess and atone for this sin, even if it's perfectly legitimate and perfectly spot on," it, I might be a little bit slow in in recognizing that just because. You know, it's hard for me to, it's hard for my blind eyes to see sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that was kind of my point is that there, when it comes to any of those types of conversations corporately, there are barriers that sometimes we just decide this would be too hard Mm -hmm. or this would create too much division or we don't know how the church would respond to this. And so... And so we're just not going to address it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think that brings me to another another image that I had when I was saying something earlier, just about how a lot of these things take time and take work. And I had personally never kind of connected this before, but, you know, Jesus talks continually about bearing fruit and scripture talks about bearing fruit and the fruit of the spirit. And I don't think I'd ever really connected that to the idea that it's interesting that, that fruit is the metaphor that's used there. Because if I decide today I'm going to plant a fruit tree, right? I can't just go out tomorrow and get fruit from it. I'm going to have to do a lot of work on the front end before I ever get fruit from that tree. Yep. Um, and it's much easier for me to just go down to HEB and get some fruit. And and I think we kind of have developed that idea culturally, and and I think that spills over to our to into our church life and into our spiritual lives where where, okay, I know I need to bear fruit, but where can I go and buy fruit (laughs) so that I don't have to grow the apple tree? And let me do that. Let me find the shortcut. Let me find the instant gratification part of it. Um, And so maybe the bearing fruit aspect of church life is what we need to get back to where we think about, okay, what seed do I need to plant today so that, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be able to see this result and and that's, that's difficult, I think, and, and takes takes work.
2: So tying that to confession, is the seed the relationship or the community of the church or time alone with the Spirit? What would you see as some of the seeds that we should be planting so that our fruit could be confession and freedom from sin?
0: Yeah, I think it could be any of that. I think it could be maybe the fruit of it is I'm going to invest more in Christian relationships. Maybe the seed is I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to take a small part of my life today that I typically fill with noise, and and leave it as silence, um, and and that's something Marcia talked a lot of, about in some of our stuff, right? That maybe today it's taking two minutes of silence, that. That, you know, yeah, may, maybe going off, maybe going from no silent introspection to an hour a day is not a feasible jump, right? And that, but that's what we, we want, like, the end result. We want, like, I, this is what I'm told prayer produces, so I want that today. Um, well, what is the seed I need to plant for that today? Maybe it's, maybe it's two minutes of silence. Maybe it's, it's finding a short liturgical prayer that I can repeat to myself in the mornings. Um, and 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 those seed planting types of things I do think are important as we as we go long term. So those are those are the couple that I would think of.
1: Yeah, I think the seed, as it were. I mean, if we're going to use this fruit tree metaphor, the seed I think is the relationship we have with our fellow Christians. It's the relationships we have in Christ. That's the seed. Um, I think the fertilizer is that time that we might spend alone. Uh, it's the, the, the prayer, the meditation, the, uh, seeking out of God's will in our life. I think that's the fertilizer and, uh, and then it's just a matter of time and patience and allowing those things to work. So you think about like how a a seed starts out small, but it opens up and it grows over time and that seed becomes a plant and that that plant becomes a stalk and that stalk becomes a trunk. And, uh, and all of that takes, uh, all of that takes time and all of that takes, uh, deliberate intentionality. And, um, and, and it takes comfort and nurturance. I mean, you think about a tree, a tree needs sunlight, it needs water, it needs uh, rich soil. Um, you know, certainly if you're, it, you know, we have a, a lime tree that, that Carrie got for Mother's Day and it's sitting in the backyard. And one day we hope to get limes from it. But limes aren't there right now. There are no limes on that tree uh, there's never even been the little, even the smallest little budding of a lime. But hope one day we hope to get that. But it won't happen if we just kind of let it sit out there. Um, you know, we need to make sure that it's getting the right amount of water, that it's getting the right amount of sunlight, that it, uh, you know, gets the soil tended to. And all of those things contribute to an environment that hopefully one day will bear fruit. And we just have to be patient and we have to be deliberate and we, we can't skip a week. We can't say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to water it this week. Well, that's when leaves start to wilt and that's when it starts to die. And I think the same is true of, of our time of, of conf- in, in our confessional life is that... Um, we have to be diligent and deliberate. And yes, we have to have, and I think the seed is the relationships, but then the fertilizer, the sun, the the water, the fertile soil, all of that are all of the other things that we do for our spiritual development.
2: So I wonder if, is confession the fruit or is fruit a mature walk with Christ? Because I feel like confession would maybe be part of it, but I don't want to necessarily say that confession is our goal. Mm. Like when we have Christian community, where our goal is not that we want you to be telling each other your sins. Like that's, that's sort a of good point. part of it. Yes, but I feel like the ultimate goal is to have an intimate and a mature, sincere yeah. relationship with Christ and all the other fruit will come out too, you know, the good works and the helping people and loving and forgiving and confessing your sins. But I don't think confession is actually the goal.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I I think maybe if we're going to, you know, keep extending this uh, metaphor, um, maybe it's that confession is the the, the twigs and the small branches where the fruit grows from. Because you're right, it is about that. But, But I do see confession as kind of being the the gateway to having that kind of of life that you describe i think you're right that that's the goal that's the fruit but confession is kind of the the gateway to that it's the door to that um and so you know you the the, the fruit on that lime tree outside isn't going to grow from the bottom of the trunk it's not going to grow from the roots that are underground. It's going to grow from the twigs, the the small branches that are on, you know, the ends of the of each limb uh, higher up.
2: If we keep extending this metaphor, I feel like confession could almost be the pruning part. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's oh, the cutting okay. off of yeah. the things that are barriers to growth. You have to cut off sin mm. in order that okay. the fruit can actually come out. That
0: was my thought.
1: Um, I like that. I like that better. That's good. Because I That's think, good. you know,
0: to, again, to keep the tree metaphor, there are, uh, there are things that I can do that would seem kind of proactive in, build, in developing growth, like watering it, fertilizer, things like that. But then there are those things that, yeah, the, the pruning, the things I have to cut away so that growth can – so that full maturation can occur. Yeah, and so I had, I had the same thought that um, – that to me confessing could could be similar to, to pruning so yeah i like that
1: i like that i like that too i'll i'll uh, go with you guys
2: and it's painful you know when you cut that's a painful process you're removing mm-hmm. something that you thought was maybe good or that might be part of the fruit bearing but the gardener is the one who's able to see this is actually in the way of mm-hmm. your flourishing your thriving and your production of fruit so i'm going to cut it off and it might look all totally messed up like, like yeah if you go at a rose bush and it's filled with roses and then you cut it all up and you prune it you're going to look at it and say that's totally destroyed mm-hmm. but then when you come back the next season it has produced like 20 fold and it's more beautiful and
1: more glorious than it was before yeah the the house that we live in now uh we bought a little more than two years ago and it by far came with the most greenery the most trees the most bushes and uh you know flower bushes and all that that of any house i've ever lived in and you know, Carrie uh, is doing a good job of trying to learn how to take care of all that. I am less so. I know how to operate the lawnmower. Mm-hmm. And I know how to operate the the trimmer. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of my role to play with that. But yeah, I know what you mean, because we have these great big trees in our backyard that I love. Just are they're beautiful. They provide lots of shade. Um, but Carrie would come by and say, oh, we need to get somebody out here to, to trim those trees. They're just too thick. And I'm like, no, don't do that. And then after they do it, I always feel like, oh, that's terrible. But yeah. you're right. It's necessary. It I don't I don't like the way it looks at first, and I'm very hesitant to do it, mm-hmm. but it helps everything else grow so much better. It helps the grass to not have so much, you know, uh, blocking from the sun. And it helps the, you know, like you said, the bushes, the 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 flower bushes that we have outside grow so much better when they're pruned and it it hurts and it doesn't look right at first and it doesn't feel right at first but it yeah i okay i I, i'm totally on board with your pruning (laughs) metaphor here i like that
0: well, that's probably a good thought for us to end on. And so, what I'd like to do is we we typically close with a prayer, but for today, I'd like to, I'm going to read uh, a scripture to close us out today here in just a minute. So, thank you, Jason and Rachel, for for spending time in this discussion. And um, as as we often say, I certainly enjoy these times where we're able to talk some of these things out and and feel like it's a it's a beneficial experience for me, at least, to have this time with with both of you. Or one of you sometimes, or whatever, however the combination ends up being, these are beneficial and encouraging times for me. So, uh, so I appreciate y'all sharing in this time again today.
2: Yeah, thank you. I feel edified, and I feel ready to be cut. So this is an open invitation for the vines. Let's mind do let's do put some, put pruning. some pruning. Pruning on. Me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to close us out today with uh, this reading from John 15, which I've been thinking about as we've continued this If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so may we be in pursuit of fruit-bearing lives in the Spirit as we go about our weeks. Amen. Amen.